Those of you here last week will have heard John speaking on giving. Um, I'm not going to put you through that again. We can only cope with that once a term, can't we? Otherwise it gets a bit uncomfortable. Um, but there's one thing, I look, whenever I hear talk on giving, I always hope um, that they, they mention my favourite, one of my favourite speakers, Tim Keller. Uh, John didn't, so I am going to. Tim Keller says this, he says, Give to a place where it changes the way you live, changes the places you eat, changes the car you drive, and changes the clothes you wear. I think that's really where I want to get to where I'm giving to a point where I have to think, well, no, actually, I can't do that this month because I've given too much away. That's my heart. I'm not there yet, by the way. I'm, I'm a work in progress. But there we go. Uh, so, yeah, so this week, um, we're going to look at two things from my passage. My passage is 2 Corinthians 9, 1 to 15. Um, and as with most of the preachers I do, it's kind of a case of you guys are interrupting my conversation with God and what God is challenging me on. So... You guys sit and listen because this is really a conversation between me and God right now and God challenging me on lots and lots of things uh, and once again uh, it's happened again. So the two things we're going to look at this morning are uh, making sure our actions back up our words and uh, cultivating a generous lifestyle. So you guys sit back, relax, listen to this. This is between me and God. If anything happens to speak to you then fair enough but uh, this is it. So And uh, I'm afraid it's going to be, I'm going to give more questions than answers. I'm not going to answer everything. I will probably leave lots of questions out there, and you guys can take them home, listen to them, uh, and uh, maybe mull over them over the next few days. So let's read um, the passage, shall we? But Dave was up here first, so he's got the message, um, which leaves Caroline with the original Greek. But it's okay because I'm thinking what we're going to do. I'm, we're going to pray for Caroline for the gift of interpretation before she reads it. So we'll, once Dave's done, we'll do that, and then Caroline will have the original Greek, and I'm sure she'll do fine. She's a, she's a linguist. She's an English teacher. It's not much difference, is it, English-Greek? That's fine. Anyway, Dave, take it away. It was good enough for Paul, wasn't it? <laughs> right, this is from the message, 2 Corinthians 9, 1 to 15. If I wrote to you any more on this relief offering for the poor Christians, I'd be repeating myself. I know you're on board and ready to go. I've been bragging about you all through Macedonia province, telling them Archaea province has been ready to go on this since last year. Your enthusiasm by now has spread to most of them. Now I'm sending the brothers to make sure you're ready as I said you would be, so my bragging won't turn out to be just so much hot air. If some Macedonians and I happened to drop in on you and found you weren't prepared, we'd all be pretty red-faced, you and us, for acting so sure of ourselves. So to make sure there'll be no slip-up, I've recruited these brothers as, as an advanced team to get you and your promised offering all ready before I get there. I want you to have all the time you need to make this offering in your own way. I don't want anything forced or hurried at the last minute. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and to make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories, 
and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in giving. God can pour out bless pour out the blessings in astonishing ways so that you're ready for anything and everything. More than just ready to do what needs to be done. As one psalmist puts it, he throws caution to the winds, giving to the needy in reckless abandon. His right living, right giving ways never run out, never wear out. This most generous God who gives seed to the farmer that becomes bread for your meals is more extravagant with you. He gives you something you can then give away, which grows into full-formed lives, robust in God, wealthy in every way, so that you can be generous in every way, producing with us great praise to God. Carrying out this social relief work involves far more than helping meet the bare needs of poor Christians. It also produces abundant and bountiful thanksgivings to God. This relief offering is a product, prod? Sorry, yes, prod. I've not read this version before, you see. <laughs> this relief offering is a prod to live at your very best. Knowing your gratitude, gratitude to God by being openly obedient to the plain meaning of the message of Christ. You show your gratitude through your generous offerings to your needy brothers and sisters and really toward everyone. Meanwhile, moved by the extravagance of God in your lives, they'll respond by praying for you in passionate intercession for whatever you need. Thank God for this gift. His gift. No language can praise it enough. Thank you, Dave. I know that was difficult, the message version, not one we normally read. Caroline, you ready? Lord, we pray for the gift of interpretation. Amen. Okay. okay. Not in Greek. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be, for if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. 
Now he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Quick round of applause for these two, please. Reading blind is not easy. Fantastic. Right, I forgot to put my timer on. I wanted to get all this done in 18 minutes. How many, how many minutes? For, what, eight minutes? So I reckon we 10 minutes. 10 minutes to go. Okay. So, let's look at that. Making sure our actions back up our words. In verse 3, Paul says this, he said, But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow. But that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Paul's concerned that the promised generosity is forthcoming. That the church in Corinth is not just a church of hollow words, but is a church of action as well. And this should be a challenge to us. In Matthew 7:21, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's not just about what we say, but about what we do. I'm sure you've been in churches where they talk about being a welcoming church and no one says hello to you. I'm sure you've been in churches where the talk is of freedom in worship. And letting the Holy Spirit take control. But a tight rein is kept on the service. But this morning is not about other churches. It's easy to look at others and point an accusing finger. Jesus says in Matthew 7, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. So we're not going to talk about everything other people do wrong. I believe God wants to speak to us this morning. So how about Jubilee Church? Well, on the front page of our website, it says this. Jubilee Church is a vibrant community, shaped by the Spirit, equipped by the Word, and sent to the nations. We are a community of people who love God and love each other. We have a Sunday meeting and midweek groups, but more importantly, Jubilee is about relationships. Relationship with God and friendship with each other. So just a few questions God has posed to me. And as I look through this, I think, what are we going to do in Burton? Those of you who don't know, we're church planting in Burton. I have to get that in every time I'm up here. We're launching in January, so do, please do pray for us. But as I look at that, and I think, what is it we're going to say about Jubilee or Burton, church, Burton Family Church? And how are we going to live that out? It's okay having it on our website, having things said about us, but how, what is it we're actually going to do? And looking at the, what we say about Jubilee, we talk about being shaped by the Spirit. But I think sometimes we can be more shaped by the world around us. We talk of being equipped by the Word. 
But quite often, I think we tend to go to Facebook for our self-worth and our acceptance, don't we? The Bible is full of truth, but quite often we go for the quick fix of Facebook. How many likes have I got? What are people saying about me there? Rather than going to the Word and saying, what is God saying about me? What does God say about me? We talk of loving others, but how do we do that? How do we show it? And not just to those in our close-knit circles. How do we show our love to Derby? How do we show our love to Burton? Are we really more about relationships with others and God than meetings? How do you show that? What do you do to say, actually, relationships are more important than our Sunday morning meeting? I haven't got the answers. I did say I'd leave more questions than answers. And these are things that I'm having to struggle with. These are things that, as Christians, we need to struggle with. Is what we say and what we do the same thing? Do they match up? I guess for those of us who are preaching... Do our lives back up what we preach? Can people look at us and go, yeah, I can see that in your life, or really? Is that what you're saying? So are there areas in our own lives where we talk a good talk, but our actions don't reflect the words we speak? How do we measure up? How do our actions back up our words? How often do we go back to this? It's interesting, how often do we go back and measure ourselves against it? making sure that the actions are taking us closer to what we speak of. Now, sometimes it can be forgetfulness, can't it? At my age, my memory is slipping. I don't remember things. I wonder if you've ever said this. Yes, of course, we'll be praying for you. Two weeks later, oops, I forgot. And that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about the theme, because God looks at the heart. And when we say, yeah, we're going to pray for you, God sees our heart in that. What, I want to talk, what I'm talking about this morning is, is when you talk, knowing full well that your actions don't follow suit. Maybe declaring to all who listen that, yes, I'm a Christian, but then we carry on as we would before. It's making no difference to our lives. Let's go back to Matthew 7 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Martin Luther King Jr. says this in his book, Strength to Love. One of the great tragedies in life is that men seldom bridge the gulf between practice and profession, between doing and saying. A persistent schizophrenia leaves so many of us tragically divided against ourselves. On the one hand, we profoundly profess certain sublime and noble principles. But on the other hand, we sadly practice the very antithesis of these principles. How often are our lives characterized by a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds? We talk eloquently about our commitment to the principles of Christianity And yet our lives are saturated with the practices of paganism. We proclaim our devotion to democracy, but we sadly practice the very opposite of the democratic creed. We talk passionately about peace, and at the same time we assiduously prepare for war. We make our firm pleas for the high road of justice, and then we tread unflinchingly on the low road of injustice. This strange dichotomy... This agonizing gulf between the ought and the is. 
represents the tragic theme of man's earthly pilgrimage. So I want to ask you today, be brave enough to ask God to show you areas in your life when you need to put into practice what you speak about. And as I said, this is a lot. God's been talking to me about this. And one of the things he's been talking to me about is getting out on the streets. For a while now, God has been saying to me, you know, why don't you go out into Burton and just go and talk to a few people? And I can think of 101 reasons why I shouldn't. And I'm still, I'm, 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 about, I'm about a 75, I think, by now. So there's another 30-odd reasons I'll give God before I don't do this. But I know he's pushing me to do it. And I know I've had a chat with Ray, and the guys have very kindly offered to come down to Burton to, uh, to encourage us in this. And we'll have to make sure it's a date, Ray, that I'm available. So <laughs> otherwise I might well pull out. But isn't it, it's interesting, isn't it? God talks a lot, and we say a lot, but quite often we do very little. And I'm finding myself in that boat at the moment. So what is it for you? Have you talked about giving up unhelpful practices but still carry on? Well, maybe it's time to let your actions do the talking. So my second and final point was this, cultivating a generous lifestyle. It says in the passage, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Generosity, that is a lifestyle and not just a one-time event. The University of Zurich, very recently, uh, 11th of July to be precise, uh, did a little study on generosity and they came up with this summary. Generosity makes people happier, even if they are only a little generous. People who act solely out of self-interest are less happy. Merely promising to be more generous is enough to trigger a chance in our brains that makes us happy. God made us to live a generous lifestyle. So how can we cultivate a generous lifestyle? Well, I've got seven things here. Uh, some that I've uh, of my own and some come from um, an article written by Joshua Becker. Uh, Ten little ways to become more generous. You can find it on the internet if you wish to Google it. But it just gives, um, I've just got seven little ways in which you can start. Some of you may already be generous. I'd encourage you to be more generous. Some of you may struggle with generosity. I'd encourage you to start the journey. And here are ten, uh, seven, seven quick ways. Number one, understand that you are a manager and not an owner. We just manage what God chooses to give us. Everything we have is a gift. And it's not ours to keep our hands on. It's ours to give away. Number two, be grateful for what you have, not thinking of what you don't have. In essence, learning to be content. Now, contentment is a massive subject. And it's a big secret to happiness, I believe. Learning to be content with what we have. Charles Spurgeon said this, You say, if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied. You make a mistake. If you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. So be grateful. Number three, choose a charity to support. A very practical thing. Choose a charity to support. One that you are passionate about. If you don't give to charity, I would encourage you to do it. 
Maybe you're passionate about the environment. Maybe it's poverty. Maybe religion, world peace, maybe. Child nutrition, animal rights. Education, civil rights. Clean water. I encourage you, find a charity that pulls at your heartstrings that you feel passionate about and support it enthusiastically. It will encourage generosity in your lifestyle. Uh, we support, um, it used to be, the Banana Army. I've got my little band on. It used to be leukemia research. And my dad passed away eight years ago from leukemia. So we support that. My sister supports the Anti-Nolan Trust. So find something that really grabs your heart and support it regularly. Number four, spend time with people in need. Rubbing shoulders with the poor just may change your impression of them forever. We have so much, don't we? We have so much, and sometimes we, we don't realise. We, we we've had Alpha recently, uh, and one of the guys on Alpha, at the end of the Alpha, we, we try to over-cater so that there's enough food for the guys to go back with. One of the guys on Alpha, we gave him some food. It was sausage and mash, one of my favourite meals. Um, and I think he had four sausages and some mash. And the uh, following week, we said to him, oh, did you enjoy that? He said, yeah, it was great. I made it last three days. You think, wow. For me, sausage and mash is a weekly event. Four sausages, piles of mash, lots of gravy. But for some people, that's three days' worth of food because they physically cannot afford to spend money on things like that. Spend some time with these people. You will realize what it is to be poor and how blessed we are. And it will change your impression of them forever. Number five, spend time with a generous person. I like this one. This came out of his, out of his thing. Learn from them. Learn what makes them tick. Think, what is it? What do you like about being generous? How are you? What do you do? And anyway, being a generous person, they're probably going to offer to pay anyway, so it won't even cost you anything. Number six, we're nearly there. Make a conscious decision to divert one expense. Now, I've been challenged by this. I think, oh, how, much, how many times do I go to Costa for coffee? And I look at my, my uh, reward card, and I think, quite a lot, because I've already got another free cup coming. But I think maybe if I do one day a week, I don't go to Costa. And that money that I would have spent on that coffee, I'll divert to something else. Maybe I could do that. Maybe it's something else. Maybe there's another regular. Maybe, maybe for you, as it is for us, it's wine. And I think, right, I have a choice here. Either I buy a cheaper bottle of wine and say give a few pounds, or I just go with that completely. And I know what I should do. I know what I probably end up doing most of the time. But maybe it's something like that for you. Maybe just giving up something, changing your lifestyle. Tim Keller says, give to a point where it changes your lifestyle, where it means something, where it, it's a sacrificial giving, rather than just uh, out of the abundance. So finally, ways to generate or to move on in generosity. Understand the difference between needs and wants. The promise God gives is to provide for all our needs and not all our wants. And sometimes we get confused, don't we? I know in our house, the internet has now become a need rather than a want. And there is a great uproar when the router goes down. And, he's, and certain people are halfway through a raid or something or other. I don't know what they're called. But, you know, it's funny how life changes. 
I remember the internet when I had to plug it into the phone line. I got a funny whirring sound and I downloaded my emails and it took half an hour. That's how old I am. And now it's, it, it's, not, it's no longer a want, is it? It's a need. It's almost like we can't survive without it. But if we understand the difference between what really is a need and what, what really is a want, there are other things you can do. Maybe start small, but do start somewhere. A generous life is to be like Jesus, who gave up everything for you and me. Don't stagnate in generosity. Look for new ways to be generous with your money and your time. Why don't you actively search out people who you can help? Ask God to show you who is in need at this particular time. Maybe you need to start at home. Maybe with your family. Maybe be a bit more generous with them, with your time, with your money. Be generous at work. Be generous towards strangers. I'd encourage you, develop a generous heart and a generous lifestyle. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So as you give, as you're generous, be encouraged that the glory is going to him. That thanksgiving is going to God through our generosity. Amen. I'm done. 11.32, that's not bad, is it? Very good. Ray, I'm going to hand back over to you, and I will let you... to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday.